and morning show sports on Friday night. Van Ben and his friend Gunning. Yeah, I, yeah, that's pretty back. good, eh? It's a late school song. You're out. I feel like no. first block, you're like, okay, no, it's if, cool. If, it's if, like if you want to do that, no. you go ahead. It's is a different the reaction vibe. I'm getting. It's like score a goal and like, yeah, yeah but I just cool about it. I, I guess. just like the no, I like the beginning. It's again, you got to hit it with something. No, one hundred percent. Again, LCD sound system. Yeah, no problem with that. That punk. That was my house. favorite of your selections. This yeah. is the first of mine. Mm-hmm. I have one more. You do? Yeah. Okay. Play that. We'll, we'll need Coming a little buffer time because I am not playing that leading directly into Peter King. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, before we get to Michael Grange coming up in a, in a couple of minutes here, Blue Jays and uh, Yankees starting a three-game series, the final six games of the regular season for the Toronto Blue Jays, who, according to fan graphs, now have a 97.7% chance of making the playoffs. The Seattle Mariners, after suffering their fourth straight loss yesterday, after being swept by the Rangers, losing game one of their series against the Astros, now a 28.4% chance of making the playoffs. It's been a very bizarre season for the Mariners with a couple of eight-game winning streaks since the All-Star break. This is also a team that traded away its closer at the oh, deadline yeah. and, and took off at that point. And Canadian Matt Brash stepped into the, the the closing role for the Mariners and did a pretty good job. And they acquired some pieces that were actually win-now pieces from the Diamondbacks in that trade as well, it's sending Paul Seawall the other way. Also, we're taking calls, if you recall, Ante Oscar Hernandez. I feel like I heard that name bandied about once or twice in the market. Yeah, it was a major talking point and and seemingly a very significant addition the Blue Jays could have made. They didn't, and the Mariners ended up holding on to him, and, and he was a key part of getting them back into the mix because, remember, they were there's a reason why they traded their closer and there yeah. wasn't like a total revolt by the fan base. It's like, okay, I get it. We broke our... Our our playoffs streak a season ago, we're, we're punting again, despite the fact that we have this great rotation. But, yeah, Julio Rodriguez went ham in the second half, and Teoscar Hernandez re- resurrected his season, despite the fact that he has 202 strikeouts this oh season. Oh, my God. Uh, but, yeah, he has the 26 home runs, and, and obviously everything being, you know, hindsight being 50-50 or 20-20. <laughs> How good is your vision? What happens if you're – yeah, I guess you have X-ray vision. Um <laughs> <laughs> is that the Blue Jays should have pushed harder to get Teoscar Hernandez, who feels like the missing piece. I mean, Mark Canna was also yep. on their radar, right-handed hitting outfielder who yep. was mashing for the Milwaukee Brewers. Tommy Pham, to a lesser extent, with yep. the Arizona um, but, but Diamondbacks. A great, a great leader. Saw everything I need to know about him a, while, a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, punching people out over fantasy football. Um, Imagine how much he cares about actual sports. <laughs> It's uh, it's a just it's a poor circumstances that the Mariners were out of it enough to trade their closer, but not so far out of it that they would trade the pending free agent Tay Oscar Hernandez, or that the Blue Jays wouldn't pony up enough for him. Like they're obviously going to qualify him now and get some draft pick compensation. The Blue Jays really like Tay Oscar; they can go out and get him in yep. free agency. But I think there's a clear reason why they sent him out of town. Yeah. But I, I do, I, he just would have made so much sense with this team, and I get it. There's you know a bunch of right-handed pitching upcoming for this mm-hmm. team. So if Brandon Belt is back to doing Brandon Belt things, he's your DH. But I, I don't know. I feel a lot more comfortable with Teoscar Hernandez home run potential. And recall in game two that went so awry yes. against the Mariners, you know, when it was good times, he was hitting two home runs in that game. Well, and there is something to the fact of it's 
it's the perfect kind of, you know, threading the line of getting the band back together, getting that feel from last year. Like that was a big part of the conversation we had this year all all season long was did the team swing too far the other way of, ah, there's no jacket. Are these guys having any fun? And sometimes I think that's way too overstated. It's a long season. We got to find stuff to talk about. But I also think there's something to the idea of T. Oscar could have kind of perfectly threaded that line of the best of both worlds there. Yeah, it, it would have been a nice addition. It's It's, I guess less painful for Blue Jays fans that he uh, didn't move anywhere. Like, mm-hmm. isn't isn't true. isn't actually going to yeah, even haunt like, you in the postseason. Yeah, he was like an Astro or something. <laughs> yeah, that would have been bad. But, yeah, what a weird season. As, as as painful as it would have been for the Blue Jays to miss the the playoffs considering the pitching season that they have had, the Mariners are right there. They're, they're mm-hmm. third in Major League Baseball in Team ERA this season. Julio Rodriguez, while he had a horrible start to the season, came on super, yep. super strong. Luis Castillo is their, their big ace that they acquired at the deadline last year mm-hmm. and was so key in getting them into the postseason and you know, key in spots, getting them back into a playoff spot. The second half just laid a supreme egg yesterday. Yep. And they're going to be, I mean, they're, they're, I, I know the the stats say 26% to, to make the postseason. Feels way less than that. <laughs> it certainly does because um, after this Astros series, who are, by the way, the defending champions, despite the fact they haven't really played like it uh, recently either, they still have a four-game series upcoming against a Rangers team, which seems to be finding itself. Yeah, it'll be uh, be fun for them uh, the rest of the way. And uh, by that, I mean uh, tragic because they're going to miss playoffs. Uh, so the Raptors are once again... The topic du jour in NBA circles happened last preseason with the the Kevin Durant uh, Durant saga. And this season, it is uh, happening with Dame Lillard, who wants out of Portland. I think he's going to get his way out of Portland. Will that be to Miami? I mean, it seems pretty clear that's his preference, but uh, emerging as the potential favorites in the Dame Lillard sweepstakes are the Toronto Raptors. Let's talk to our Raptors reporter. Michael Grange, who has a story out right now on Sportsnet.ca. Good morning, Grange. Morning, gentlemen. How is everybody? Uh, we were spectacular. Really, really, really good. Really In a fervor of Raptors news, Grange. <laughs> yeah, it, um, yeah, a little, uh, little much for my liking this time of year, but we're all good. <laughs> yeah, we're all good. Yeah, well, we're okay. great. So maybe let's let's compare the the two rumors, right? Because hey, and they're very different players. I think Kevin Durant is uh, well established as a guy that can lead you to a championship. Uh, Dame Lillard is established as a guy that can make some 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 pretty awesome shots in postseason games and even close out series against Russell Westbrook uh, in in postseason series, but not lead you necessarily to a championship because it hasn't happened yet. Uh, and and is. Uh, not 100% to be on the floor for even 60 games during the course of a regular season. But compare, like, the the, the smoke-to-fire uh, conversations that you're hearing between last year's Kevin Durant stuff and this year's Dame Lillard stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think they're fairly comparable, um, at least from my sense, from the Raptors' point of view, is, is you know, they they did think that they were in the mix for Kevin Durant, Um you know, early on when, when it looked like he was going to get traded more in the summertime. And, and then as, as that cooled off, um, you know, everything became a little more complicated. But, um, you know, I think in this case, it's almost the opposite where there was, you know, it's kind of been a slow build to this whole little thing. And now it seems to be really peaking. Um, you know, there's still some question whether it gets moved before training camp starts. Like I could see a scenario where, you know, Portland, you know, doesn't get exactly what they want. And they look at what happened with 
Brooklyn and Durant last year, and they kind of sat on it. And and uh, you know, at the, by the trade deadline, the, the market was better. So, um, as it relates to the Raptors, um, yeah, I mean, it's very comparable. I mean, they they kind of survey the land. This is kind of they kind of survey the landscape and and look at what the other competitor competitive offers could be and believe that they are able to match or better. And, um, you know, the reason for that is, is they're able to build the deal, deal around really good young players that are established, but still young. They do have a fair bit of draft capital they can bring to the table. And, um, you know, and that's, you know, they kind of compare what they could do versus say a Miami or some of the other teams get mentioned and believe that they could be in it. Um, you know that that's sort of where it's at. I think they're they're actually comparable. I mean, I think there was, you know, the Kevin Durant stuff was pretty real, and uh, the Dame stuff was is also kind of in the same boat. I think one thing that was a little different is is my understanding is is Durant right off the bat sort of kind of viewed Toronto as a potential. You know, Phoenix was his ultimate destination. That's where he ended up. That's where he wanted to be. But Toronto was um, he was open to Toronto. Um, you know, I think what's changed a little bit is, you know, there is an angle that not too many people have mentioned, and that's Dame Lillard's agent, Aaron Goodwin, is is uh, also DeMar DeRozan's agent. And things did not end well <laughs> for, uh, well, not so much for DeMar. I mean, DeMar, obviously, there's a lot of hard feelings there, but I think his representation was, you know, took it pretty personally, too. And, um, and, you know, my understanding is that fence or that bridge has been mended a little bit. And, um, you know, and, and that's maybe what's changed in the last week or so is uh, it's not evident that there's an obvious or easy way to, for Damo to end up in Miami. And so then you're kind of, he's in a situation where he says, well, if I'm, if I'm not going to be in Portland, you know, which, where can I be? And, uh, you know, I think, I think Toronto's an option. All right, let me throw this at you, Grange, because I, I don't think the Raptors are kicking tires just for the sake of it. I think they're obviously interested in a player of, of Lillard's caliber, and depending on what the trade looks like, they'll you know the, it'll come to fruition or it won't. But I, when I've been thinking about this, I wonder how much of, of this and the being involved in a possibility for trade talks is an important part for the Raptors of staying relevant among the NBA conversation. I mean, we've already done the thing once with Giannis. I think some people are ready to try to do it again in a couple of years here. And, you know, the Raptors are not one of these front of mind franchises. They're not the Knicks. They're not the Lakers. They're not the Charlotte Hornets either, but I don't know how far removed they are from that in the general NBA landscape when they're a couple of years away from a title. How much of this do you think is just about the Raptors showing that they are in the conversation to contend and want to compete and want to be a winner, basically putting out a beacon to the league. And again, I'm not saying they're doing that just for the message it sends. I think they wouldn't be doing it if they didn't have some interest in the player, but how much do you think that is, is part of the calculation and the thinking here? I, you know, I don't think it's that calculated, um, but you know, I don't think it's a bad side benefit. Right. And, and, you know, I kind of go back when, you know, I think, uh, you know, the Dame Lillard's old uh, running mate in Portland, LaMarcus Aldridge was a uh, free agent. And, and at that time, you know, the Raptors were far less established as a, as a, you know, a viable place for free agents. And, 
you know, the fact that, that uh, Aldridge met with them and kind of took it seriously. What a day was... for the franchise. I remember, Grange. <laughs> yeah, they got out there. I mean, so I, I, I take your point. Like, I, I think, you know, it's important to be in the conversation um, at moments like this. And, and unless you're going the opposite way and you're full-blown full rebuild and, and, you know, you're just kind of like opting out for three or four years, you know, um, it is important to kind of, let the league know and by the league i mean other gms other agents other players that you know you're still you're you're serious about trying to win and um the more it gets out there the more that message is reinforced the easier it is this time or the next time you need to you know you're trying to make something happen so um i think that there's you know that again i'm i'm not sure how conscious uh that is i think a bigger factor is, you know, we've seen enough times, even though the last two or three years, so, you know, things really haven't come to pass. You know, if you go back over, you know, the Bobby Webster and Messiah Jury's history together, Jeff Weltman before that, you know, they were pretty aggressive, you know, going back to when they acquired P.J. Tucker and Serge Ibaka, you know, they, they, they built on what they had year by year. And so, you know, we're all familiar with the deals that led to the title. So, um you know, so I think it's it's a you know a dash of what you're talking about, but I think the bigger thing is it's just an aggressive by nature uh, management group. Aggressive doesn't mean impu- you know impulsive, mm. but I think that they are determined to try and be in on any opportunity. And and I think when you look at the Kawhi Leonard uh, deal, which is sort of like the you know the the, the one that of course ever always gets referenced for good reason. One of the reasons they were able to get that deal is because, because you know, they got lucky. They they got a player who was there was a lot of kind of intrigue and concern and mystery around it, and they, you know, they kind of came in and, you know, kind of their timing was really good, and so they they kind of were able to win that deal. Um, and so I think in this context, and I think a little bit in the KD context, previous to that, you know, it's not like they're saying, look, take anything you want, and, and, and we just want, want the player. It's like they're trying to calculate, can they be 5% better than the next best offer, 10% better than the next best offer, and by doing that, um, you know, improve their own team by who knows what percentage. Uh, this Insider is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. So that... that raises the question is how good is a Raptors team with a core of Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes and Dame Lillard, assuming that OG Ananobi would be uh, on the way out and, and, and maybe Grady Dick as well. Um, and, and maybe Gary Trent jr. Like it, this is a team that won 41 games and Dame Lillard's a great, a great player. But like I said, I mean, it's different than Kawhi Leonard who already had a finals MVP under his belt. This is a guy is a good player, again, uh, in his 30s um, and, and not always healthy. H- how good is that Raptors team if you pull off the trade that's been rumored to be on the table? Yeah, I, I, I don't think all that good. Like, I think better. Um, but, you know, your point is very well taken. Is, is uh, you know, this is a team that wasn't exceptionally deep either last year or the year before. And... You know, let's just say it is a deal that involves OG and OB, Gary Trent. Um, we'll just stick with those two names. You know, those are 
two rotation players out. You're bringing in one in theory, and um, you know you've already lost Fred Van Vliet, so that's another. So you're basically, you know, I don't see your team getting any deeper. I, I think I can see where there's. You look at the top five or six players. And go, yeah, that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good rotation. Um, not perfect, but good. But it just sort of falls off the table after that. And I think if you know, you're looking at this iteration of the Raptors, let's say, say Damo does end up here, I think they're a good team. I think they're a fun team. I mean, and don't underestimate that. Dame Lillard is just, he's, you know, I don't put him not winning a title on him, you know. Like, yeah. I don't think he's really had a team around him to do it. But he is, next to Steph Curry, maybe the most dynamic offensive player in the game or has been year over year. And um, so it's a fun team. <laughs> but is it a team that's going to go and, Blitz the East and, and everyone's going to take cover? I don't think so. Um, you know, I think part of this calculation is the East is pretty shaky, you know, depending on what you think of what's going on in Boston. Um, you know, Milwaukee yeah, it looks like a team that could either run the table or fall apart by the trade deadline. And then after that, it's it's pretty shaky. So I think that's part of the math, too, is, is there's an opportunity in a window to – to be a top four team and maybe to, you know, have a puncher chance at the finals. So, um, but do I think it's a, a surefire way to win a title? Do I think it's a surefire way to build a sustainable winner? I mean, I personally don't see it, but there's one thing that's been pretty consistent here is there hasn't been much of an appetite to take two steps backward or three steps backward and, you know, accumulate the picks and do what we've seen in some other markets and, you know, punt on a couple of seasons to build up from the bottom. And, um, you know, so if you're not going to do that and you're stuck in the middle, then maybe it makes it makes sense to, to kind of try and pull a, pull a rabbit out of a hat. How much of whether or not this is a good idea just depends on what you think. And I don't mean you, I mean, the Royal, you think of Scotty Barnes ceiling. Because if you think Scotty Barnes is somebody who one day can be the best player on a title team, then I think you have to be very careful about when you make your shot and you push your chips in to put the right pieces around him. And I know no one can know for certain we're two years into his career, but if you're starting to have doubts about if he can truly be that guy, then I think it does make a lot of sense to kind of put him in this environment and let him play on some fun, competitive teams and see if that can kind of bring out a different element of him. But again, if you think this guy has the has it in him to be a, you know, whatever the number has to be, a top five, a top seven guy in the NBA to one day be the true lead dog on a, on a title team, then I think you do have to be kind of careful about you when you push your chips in. How much of this conversation just revolves around that question? Yeah, I mean, a lot, um, you know, because one thing that's consistent is, you know, even last year with Kevin Durant and this year, you know, there's been zero appetite to throw Scotty Barnes in a deal. I mean, part of that is, you know, when you're trading for guys making $40 million and you're trying to build around a deal, uh, you know, with the guys making 8 or $10 million, it gets really hard to get to the number. I mean, it's just math. All of a sudden, you have to you know trade five guys. But yeah, Grange, um, just quickly on that, uh, I know you know this, but for everyone out there, Ananobi, Trent Jr., and Grady Dick, the math works. That gets it done. Not to say that yeah. that would be it, but just for everyone kind of understanding parameters out there. Yeah, yeah, you need to be within a fraction of of the forty five million. I think it's just which what is it making? Um, <laughs> and the numbers always make me pause. But, um, you don't get that? I swore have, you're in that echelon. We, we haven't mentioned that Dame Lowe is going to make $63 million when he's 36. But, very good. Anyway, um, 
so yeah, to your question, um, you know, you can look at it from both ways. I think one of the reasons, if you are really sold on Scotty Barnes, you know, the, uh, that there's just all kinds of upside and he's way closer to realizing it than maybe he showed last season, then, uh, yeah, you want to surround him with the best player you can as soon as you can. And, and you know, maybe this year, you know, the team's good but not great, but you got another offseason to add and, and Scotty Barnes is still on his rookie deal and, you know, in year four, he's ready to be an all-NBA-type player. Then all of a sudden, maybe you're cooking with gas because you have a Hall of Famer, you have uh, Pascal Siakam. Like, who knows? Maybe you know, presuming Siakam's still here, let's just be uh, keep it simple. And you know, and Scotty Barnes is emerging as you know at that point as an all. All of a sudden, you have three All-NBA players in your starting lineup. That's pretty good, right? That usually translates into something good. Mm-hmm. Um, the you know, the flip side of this is. You know, if, if Scotty's not nearly as close as as, as that, um, you're kind of in a bind, right? Because you've 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 tossed in a lot of future assets in terms of draft capital and young teammates um, to to get a player who's probably got one, maybe two years of his true prime left. And you know, if that doesn't pan out, you're you know you're in a tough bind. You don't have picks. You've got huge contracts sitting on the books. Um, and and all of a sudden you could be in a situation, and this is so speculative, but a guy like Scotty Barnes looks around and goes, look, how am I supposed to win here? <laughs> and, uh, you know, now he's your problem. So, um, you know, there's just so many unknowns here, and um, which I guess is what makes it fun, right? Yeah. This is usually kind of a pretty quiet time of the year. Like things are just barely ramping up. Everyone's, you know, coming to camp. Let's call a spade a spade. This is your golf season, Grange. You, I know why you're so irked. I can read through you. Well, yeah, the uh, we don't need to talk about that. But um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so yeah. I mean, I think I think that um, you know the one thing I did here is is that this should get resolved pretty quick. You know, I don't think anyone wants to take this to you know camps open on Monday. I don't think anyone wants to take this to media day unless there's some resolution, and the resolution could be. Names traded. It could be, you know what, the market just didn't materialize, and you know we're gonna we're gonna sit on this until the market's better, and that's Portland's prerogative as well. Um, you know, and he might be in Toronto. And the only thing I keep returning to is when you go through all these elite, elite. We're talking best of the best players that decide it's time for them to move on. Name me one that didn't get to a their named preferred destination. Mm-hmm. Or B, like the next best. You know, they they just never end up Kawhi. in a market. That's in a one market. guy. Yeah, yeah, that one guy, and look how long that lasted. But yeah. um, <laughs> you know, so you know, they just almost never end up in a in the place they don't want to be. Yeah. And um, you know, that's that's you know, I don't know where Toronto ranks in Dame's preferences. You know, it seems to be you know there, there seems to be a bit of a chilling effect going on, but or a warming effect, I guess. But uh, we'll we'll see. Yeah, Mark Spears called Toronto a cool city, so I don't know. He also called Drake a fellow Raptor, yeah. which made us laugh. <laughs> Just a matter of process yeah. here, Grange, before that you go. So you threw in there, like, Raptors do not control their upcoming first-round pick. It's top six protected, though, the one they sent out to San Antonio for Jakob Pertl. They have to unprotect that pick if they're trading future first? Like, what's that? Because that, that seems bad, because Dame played for the 
Portland Trailblazers this year. He didn't play the whole season, and they still ended up in the lottery and, and selecting third. And I know it's not supposed to be the greatest <laughs> draft class, but I think you'd want the third overall selection if, if, if Dame got hurt this year. Yeah, the, the little technicality there is you can only trade first-round picks seven years out, and you can't trade consecutive first-round picks. So you can't trade three years straight. And um, it's called the Stepien rule. It was put in to kind of save ownership themselves. And so, you know, if, if the, when there is protections on a pick, uh, that, which means that in 2024 that pick may or may not convey, then the soonest the Raptors would be able to trade a first-round pick would be 2026, and then they'd be able to trade, uh, trade 28. And, no, I think I've got this confused. 24. Anyway, I'm, I'm not very smart on that this time of day. But the point being, if you waive – yeah, no, that's what it is. Is You couldn't trade your 2026 pick because you're not sure if, you're gonna, if that, the pick they've sent to, to San Antonio will convey in 2024 or 2025. Right. And so if you waive the protections, say, so under any circumstances, including if that pick is number one, uh, San Antonio would get it, then all of a sudden you could trade your 2026, you could trade your 2028, you could trade your, 20, your 2030, and you'd have be able to offer pick swaps in, the, in between years. Yeah, so the Spurs are very much rooting for this to happen. They're like, go for it. <laughs> go for it, Raptors. <laughs> trade yeah. all your picks away. Uh, Grange, yeah. uh, great reporting. Thanks for doing this, man. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Right, you too. Michael Grange uh, and this insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. I think that's a not insignificant point that the Raptors, this is not an all-in move, pretty significant move, giving up future assets yeah. and, and their just most recent first-round pick, potentially, because Mark Spears also reporting that, that the, the Blazers are hot and bothered over getting Grady Dick. They're really big fans of the six-foot-eight sharpshooter. And sure, yeah, yeah. The, the potential exists uh, very much for him to be a significant contributor. But things can very quickly go pear-shaped again. Dame Lillard is a superstar. Yeah. He's not the superstar to the likes of which where he plays for your team and you're even automatically a playoff team. Mm-hmm. Blazers were in the lottery. Yes, they were. Last season... <laughs> Dame Lillard didn't play 82, but he played like 60 games, and he had his best offensive season of his entire career. The Raptors making this move, Dame Lillard getting hurt, Mm -hmm. being a bottom-type team in the Eastern Conference, being in the lottery and not controlling their their upcoming pick would be just a nightmare. Be very bad. I would not want that to happen. <laughs> Having said all that, the more we talk about it, I want it. The yeah. more I just want it to happen. <laughs> I just want to. I just want to watch Dave. God. I just want to watch Scotty Barnes pass to Damian Lillard. Pascal uh, Siakam was going to be there too. I, I mean, I, I, what's going to happen? Like, I know we're, we'll we'll do more on this in the week of alls. But honestly, like, close your eyes, picture five years from the Raptors. Is this going to be Scotty Barnes and the foundation? That's been, or or are we going to be sitting back going, man, it was so fun when it was Dame time? Yeah, yeah, probably that. Anybody that watched this Raptors team for the entirety of the yeah. 82 games and even yeah. after they acquired Jakob Pertl, yeah. eh, a bit of a slog. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and even if they're... I want it. I'm I, in. Yeah, I've, me too. Of course I want it. I don't think it's smart, but I want it. <laughs> I, Story of my life, yeah, baby. I was going to say, I like a lot of things that aren't smart. I said, yeah, whatever. All right, when we come back... Uh, a smart guy. Yeah, <laughs> a smart guy. Uh, is going to talk about the NFL season through three complete weeks now. Uh, Peter King of NBC Sports and Football Morning in America. As the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. 
Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The JD Bunkus podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 59, the fan, Ben Ennis and Brent Gunning. Well, Joe Burrow played. He wasn't all that effective. Effective enough, though, as the Bengals are off the mat with their first victory of the season. Let's talk to Peter King, NBC Sports and Football Morning in America. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, men. How are you? Doing very well. So th- this is a Bengals team that had a very similar start last season, 0-2. And, and, you know, I, I, th- I believe they were 4-4 four and four before riding the ship and ending up uh, beating the Bills in a postseason game and ending up in an AFC championship game and a well-contested game against the, the Chiefs. Are, are we back to that conversation with the Bengals? Did you see enough yesterday? Are you bullish enough on this team that they can return to those heights? I don't think so. Um, I mean, this, this Bengals team is going to have to survive a huge part of Joe Burrow's game is the deep ball. And a huge part of their offense is the deep threats that uh, Chase, Boyd, and Higgins all are. And it's hard to imagine over the course of this year that Burrow is going to be mobile at all. And because, look, Yeah, he's got a great arm, and he's a great deep thrower. But he also is mobile, surprisingly mobile, for a guy who is seen mostly as pocket quarterback. And if you don't have the ability to run to get out of the way, I think it becomes a game that you have to play possession football. And by that, I mean you have to play to essentially try to survive and try to win each series and get some points as often as possible on as many series as you can. In the first 32 series of the season, the Cincinnati Bengals have scored three touchdowns. And that is not what Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor and this offense is designed to do. But... I think that's how they're going to have to try to win this year. And they've got a good enough defense to play games in the teens. But to me, last night was a perfect metaphor for the way the Bengals are going to have to play this year to win. A 1916 game. Last year, most games that the Bengals played were 1916 at halftime. They have to hope those are the kind of games they can win enough of this year but i don't think burrow is going to be whole the whole year yeah it's hard to it's hard to see and all on the flip side of it though you also kind of understand where he's coming from the idea of well you can go on ir you're out four weeks but if he misses four weeks the season's probably over so yeah it just feels like it's going to be a tough slog for, for them sticking in the division everyone else there is is two and one ravens coming off a loss browns picked up a win steelers have won two straight how do you how do you handicap that division and has your opinion changed in the first three weeks of the season I trusted Deshaun Watson, I'd pick Cleveland right now because their defense is so good. But Deshaun Watson was better on Sunday than he has been. But 
still, this is nine games where the overall product is mediocrity. So I don't really know what to think. I think the Ravens are so beat up right now, and it's so early in the season. They exit September as the team that if they were healthy, I'd pick them in a second. But, you know, their left tackle looks like he's never going to be right, Ronnie Stanley. Uh, they've got some secondary injuries. They're such a physical team that when you're this hurt three weeks into the season, um, you know, I think you're you're in trouble. I think this game this weekend is a huge game in this division, Baltimore at Cleveland, because you need to have Lamar Jackson make about five plays with his legs this week because, look, right now, the there are three truly great, in my opinion, edge players in this game. Micah Parsons, who is not just an edge player, he also plays up the gut, he plays everywhere. Um, but also TJ Watt and Miles Garrett. And if you look at how Miles Garrett played, it's hard to play a better football game than he played on Sunday uh in the Browns victory. And so to me that's the way the Browns have to play because you don't know what you're going to be getting out of your offense week to week. Having, you know, run, having said 58 things about this division, mm. if I had to put down five bucks right now on this division winner, I'd probably pick Cleveland right now. Yeah, defense has been so good. Yeah, that sounds like a, a great game upcoming in week four. Uh, Broncos, Bears seems less great uh, as those two teams are <laughs> abysmal. And, and yeah, we can talk about the Dolphins side of things in just a second, but holy cow, like at least that Broncos team was a top 10 defense last season. This is year one under Sean Payton. It seems pretty clear that their best uh, path forward would be to lose as many games as possible, put themselves in position for Caleb Williams. But, I mean, this is year one of, of a massive, massive contract for Sean Payton. Can they do that in Denver? It's a great question. I kind of think I, I'm trying to, knowing Sean Payton as well as I do, uh, but not having talked to him since the debacle on Sunday, I'm trying to put myself in his shoes on the three-and-a-half-hour flight back to Denver uh, or four-hour flight back to Denver on Sunday night. And I think the way he feels right now is he is not married to a soul on that football team, and that includes Russell Wilson. And if I were anybody who played for that team, I would, A, be fearing for my job, this week and B be thinking that my future here is not safe. In my opinion, if the Broncos continue to play like this, uh, I think they're going to make wholesale changes at the trading deadline and they will try to get as much draft capital as they can so that Sean Payton and George Payton, the general manager will be in good position next year to really try to build this team in a different way because look, Sean Payton is not going to take this. He just, he's just simply not going to take it. So I, I think everything in Denver right now is in flux. 
Uh, one of the games that uh, I will say I was shocked by the most this weekend was the Cowboys not only struggling, but losing uh, against the Cardinals. You know, some struggles I could have yeah. expected. You understand when the line's banged up, the game's going to go a little differently, but it's not about the line. It's about how the game ended with Dak throwing that pick in the end zone. And again, I don't want to paper over it. You lose three offensive linemen. I don't care who you have back there. It's going to affect you, but it's just once again leads us to all these questions we have about Dak. The Cowboys are a good team. I expect them to bounce back and beat the Patriots this weekend, especially with it being at home. But when you try to rank them among the elite of the NFL, which a lot of people have them with because of that defense, those are where the questions continue to go. And then, hey, that defense gave up 28 points against the Cards, who are maybe a little better than we thought. But, man, it's uh, when you look at the way the other elite teams in the NFL performed this weekend, a uh, tough one for the Cowboys for sure. It's possible that the Cardinals are a lot better than we thought. Um, I mean, think about this for a second. So they've started the season with an odd bit of scheduling. Three teams from the NFC East, back to back to back. And just remember, Jonathan Gannon comes from being the defensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles. He played the Giants and the Commanders and the Cowboys twice a year. So he knows their teams very, very well, and he knows how to defend their teams well, and he had good records against every team other than the Cowboys. They were, whatever, right around 500, I think, against Dallas in recent years. But he knows their personnel all very well. And in each one of those games, I agree agree with you. I entered the season thinking that the Cardinals or Houston – those two teams are going to be the worst teams in football in some order. And now you look at what just happened. The Cardinals just beat uh, the team we thought going into the weekend might be the best team in football. And the, uh, the Texans beat the Jacksonville Jaguars by 20 points in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. So you can't really figure anything out until they play a bunch of games each year in the NFL. But I'll just say one thing about the Cowboys in that I think the Cowboys are going to be fine. But the one thing that that game on Sunday showed me is that it's very hard to build quality depth on the offensive line. Mm -hmm. And I thought that against a middling to okay defensive front, okay, certainly not a top 10, top 12 defensive front in the NFL, they showed a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of places that future coaches can look at them and say, man, we can attack this area of the Cowboys. So that game worries me, not necessarily from Dak Prescott's perspective, but from the protection Mm. uh, and, and the blocking that they just didn't have on Sunday. Yeah, a lot of our preconceived notions about this season maybe are going out the window and, and the Cardinals maybe among them uh, and, and not being one of the worst teams in the NFL. I think the more I see the Rams, the more I'm, I'm believing in, in them as maybe not a playoff team, but a, a team that's going to be right. competitive for a playoff spot and on the strength of a guy that was drafted in the in the middle of uh, last season's draft, Puka Nakua, uh, who was not a speedster, during the combine but for some reason the rams are able to 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 locate these diamonds in the rough like what are they doing that other teams aren't uh, being able to identify uh, puka and you know cooper cup among others the one thing both puka and cooper cup 
both run in the mid to high four or fives in the 40, which I think the vast majority of teams in the NFL are going to say, we can do better than that, let them go elsewhere. And the one thing they don't look at is there's this drill that they do, not a drill, but this practice uh, session they have at the uh, at the Senior Bowl that uh, I know this year Pukunakua really opened eyes with. And it's basically the one-on-one drills where you have to get off the line of scrimmage against the corner. The reason that this is a valuable drill is that they have maybe, uh, you know, uh, 10 to 12 of the best cornerbacks entering the draft uh, are in uh, Mobile for the scouting combine every January. Not scouting combine, for the senior bowl, excuse me. And they have them there, and so the receivers go up against them, and you can tell which receivers are good getting off the line and, and which ones aren't. Puka Nakua is an instinctive guy who's got great little shiftiness coming off the line of scrimmage. He doesn't have great speed. And by the way, there's another receiver who ran in the four or fives coming out of college. His name is Jerry Rice. And I'm not comparing anybody to Jerry Rice. I'm just simply saying that in my opinion, that I think teams rely far, far, far too much on straight ahead, uh, you know, tested speed in 40-yard dashes to determine what receivers they're going to take. That's not how people play football. You got to be able to get off the line of scrimmage. You got to run routes with precision, and you got to work like a banshee to get ready to contribute in an offense. All of which Puka Nakua did when he got drafted by the Rams. Looking at the looking at the top of the of the NFC, you got the Eagles and you got the 49ers, both at three and zero. Now I look at the Eagles and I say that just feels like a perfect football team. I know nothing's perfect, but that feels pretty unassailable. The one point I'll look at with the 49ers and say I know he got them pretty deep last year, but I look at Brock Purdy. Do you look at that as kind of the one thing that separates those two teams, or is it something else to you? I mean, it's pretty straightforward to me. One team's got Hurts, one team's got Purdy, but I mean, we know how Shanahan can scheme it up that maybe he. Feels feels a little differently about, about the quarterback position than some others. How do you uh, kind of separate the, those two teams atop the NFC? I would disagree wholeheartedly. Please um, do. I, don't, I, think it, I think at some point that everybody needs to stop thinking of Brock Purdy as the 272nd pick in the draft and start watching the games granularly. And by that, I mean, this is a guy who right now in his NFL career has played three quarters or more in 11 games. He's 11 and 0 in those games. Or the 49ers are 11 and 0 in those games. And so at some point you have to say, man, that was an incredible throw he made to the front pylon uh, to Debo Samuel uh, for the touchdown on Thursday night. There was another great touchdown throw uh, he threw Thursday night. And yeah, did he miss some receivers? Yes. This just in. They all do. Mm. Patrick Mahomes misses receivers. Everybody misses receivers. But I think what, 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 what I would say is that Brock Purdy is eminently good enough to take the 49ers to win a Super Bowl. Now, 
you know, there are going to be a bunch of people who are going to say, oh, you got to be kidding me. Got hurt last year. He's a small guy, blah, blah, blah. Hey, look, I know they don't sell insurance for injury. I get it. But the one thing I would say about that is here's a guy who started 47 games in a Power 5 conference in college football. And at Iowa State, you're the underdog most weeks. He is getting battered. Did he miss many games in college? No, he missed zero games in college. So I understand that everybody's got a healthy dose of skepticism about Brock Purdy. I don't happen to be in that camp after watching 11 games. But if I had to take either quarterback right now, I would take Jalen Hurts for his mobility, his playmaking ability, on the run and in the air. Uh, I I love Jalen Hurts. And I thought last night he was terrific, even though he had a couple of throws they'd like to have back, one really bad interception. But on the first touchdown drive in the first half, he made two incredible throws under heavy pressure downfield. And so I, I, I like both of those quarterbacks. And if either one is in the Super Bowl, it, it will not surprise me in the least. Uh, Jets fans would take any quarterback that's not Zach Wilson right now. It, and I understand why um, Robert Sala has to, to, to continue to back him. I, I do wonder how much pressure is being put on him by Joe Douglas. Like, it, it, is this actually going to continue the way it's been publicly stated that they're going to stick with Zach Wilson the rest of the season? It, they, they can't keep doing that. And Rob, I'm sure Robert Sala is a very, very smart guy. And he knows that right now he's got to stick up for his quarterback. He also knows that uh, everybody can see the game. Zach Wilson's terrible. He's got another week, maybe two, to show it, and then they're going to have to bring in a guy and get him ready to play. That's all there is to it. I would be, if Zach Wilson's awful this week, the Jets are going to go out and get a quarterback. They're going to have no choice. The question is, a perfect quarterback for them would be Gardner Minshew. But the Indianapolis Colts now being in first place in the division, knowing that they can win this very flawed division, and maybe they could win it with Gardner Minshew because Anthony Richardson has shown himself prone to getting beat up early on. Um, That would be the perfect guy. I don't think they're going to get him. So then you have to ask, A, what current player could they get, or B, who can they talk out of retirement? You know, and I don't – I'm a little dubious about Matt Ryan. I'm real dubious about Carson Wentz, but I have a feeling one of those guys is going to be a Jet in the future. Oh, that's exciting. Great. Uh, (laughs) Peter, uh, always great to chat. Uh, Thanks for doing this. Uh, Have a great morning. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. All right, there's Peter King, NBC Sports and Football Morning in America. Yeah, I I have... Sorry, okay. I have to I have to jump in. Bad manners, I know, but right as we were doing that, Shams Charania reported that a basketball player named Matt Ryan signed with somebody, okay. and I just like I had a short circuiting of my brain. If <laughs> well, we were gonna actually, get that news on the air right I now. I was Sorry. actually gonna talk about Matt Ryan. I, I think it's different. Like even Carson Wentz, like the fact that he has not gone into a second career yes. yet, like that makes more sense than Trying Matt Ryan. So like hard. when you when you actually put the headphones mm. on when you're, you know, in a booth when you're mm-hmm. talking into a microphone. Yep. I think that that there's a delineation that happens there. No, I'm hitting you with the zag. <laughs> I what do we hate in all walks of life? Someone who's trying too hard. Mm. Right? Hey, 
Just chill out, relax. Mm. You know, you try so hard to fit in here. Mm. Carson Wentz is that dude. The picture of him with yeah. all the different helmets and everything. Matt Ryan's chilling. Mm-hmm. No, I want to be clear. I think he'd be terrible. I think they all would stink, though. Yeah. So what does it matter? At least Matt Ryan capable of not being Zach Wilson. And really, that's all it is. The, and the other part of it is, if you want to kneecap another team, and I know people bandied about this idea, but now they're 0-3. What, Kirk Cousins? Yeah. I mean, if you want to win, that's Pending what you do. free agent. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. How I, do the Vikings sell it to there? I get it. I get it. No, it's it's truly amazing how low the bar is, though, to be better than Zach Wilson. Like, Josh Dobbs? You don't think that the, the, oh the Jets would, would sell heaven and earth to go get Josh Dobbs right now? Like, we're talking about Gardner Minshew being the perfect fit for God. the New York Jets. Like, yeah, Mike White. They're like, bring him back. What about him, honestly? <laughs> God, could you imagine Minshew Mania with that Jets team right now? Because he'd just have to survive, right? And that's all he would do. They'd win a bunch of games. God, it'd be so fun. Yeah. And he's this, in Indianapolis instead. Yeah. Uh, this cur- is where the league should step in and say, you know what? Entertainment product. Minshew, well, you're going to New York. Uh, third round pick, back to you. Or well, whatever. Uh, yeah. I, 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 Anthony I, Richardson. I, I can't do it. I know. It appears to be ready to return. So I don't know. Maybe Love maybe you're guy. a little bit more willing to do it, but it's it's must be so infuriating to watch that Jets team with God. not just the the defense, but the incredible talent yeah. that, that does surround the potential quarterback and to have maybe the worst in well, the entire the NFL. Jerk face center. as well. Like he's got jerk face. He doesn't not have jerk face. Like a, he looks like a, a kid's movie villain. Like he looks like the bad kid in a movie. Yeah. So dad is like going to buy the ski hill yeah. and shut it down or something. Yeah, good looking fellow though. Very much so. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, this has been the Fan Morning Show. Bad Brent Gunning. Sportsnet 590 The Fan.